Grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Here again, just a portion of our epistle lesson today. As St. Peter writes, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, view yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So far our text. And so as we look at our readings, we're reminded that Christ is King. That is the theme that we had given to us from Psalm 24 this morning as we sang those or spoke those verses responsively. And we have Christ heralded as the King of glory. And indeed, he is our King. He rules over creation out of love for his Christians. He says after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we confess in the creed that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. St. Paul refers to him as the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the one who is indeed worthy of honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. For when we consider we are King, we remember that he is endowed with all the authority of God the Father being true God himself. We see the man who has ascended into heaven to reign over creation as the true and living God-man. We see Jesus as the king of creation. Yet not all who live under him choose to acknowledge his rule. Some despise his authority, many hate his kingdom. St. Peter uses an analogy to describe the kingdom of Christ this morning. He uses the analogy of a temple, a house, a building. A building of stonework requires a strong cornerstone, yet our cornerstone has been rejected by men. Christ is set as the foundation of the entire church, and yet some despise the foundation, and because of this, they despise his church. Peter says this this morning as he says, Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And this living stone rejected by men is the cornerstone of the entire church. That means nothing other than that the person and the work of Christ is what builds the church. This means that Christ being the Son of God made flesh to die and rise for the sins of the world, the forgiveness that flows from his death and resurrection, and the life that follows that forgiveness is exactly what the unbelieving world rejects. Jesus is rejected by men because he is the Son of God. He is rejected because he forgives sinners and promises eternal life. Jesus is rejected by men because he builds his church upon the foundation of his divinity, his death, his empty tomb, and the life he promises us. And we see this clearly in how Jesus was treated in his hometown. In Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus read the scripture in the synagogue in Nazareth. He reads from Isaiah. And the passage speaks of the coming Messiah who would proclaim the gospel, set captives free, return sight to the blind, and cast out demons. 
And then Jesus says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus was saying, Hey, that Messiah you've been waiting for, I'm the guy. It was absolutely true. He'd been doing all of those things up until this point in his ministry. He'd been casting out demons, healing the sick. He had been proclaiming the good news to the poor. Yet in his hometown, when he delivered this good news, he was met with pure hatred and indignation. And they attempted to drag him outside and toss him off a cliff. We see this happen again after one of his greatest miracles, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead and in the tomb for several days, yet Jesus, with a word, says, Lazarus, I say to you, come out from there. And the dead man walks out of his tomb. Lazarus was alive. What was the response of the Jewish authorities when they see and hear that Jesus raises the dead? Do they rejoice and praise God for the glory that he has done? No. They gather to discuss what happened, saying, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. We can't have that, because the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And so a man who was dead was raised from the dead, but they were not concerned with that. They were afraid that people might actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Even earlier, after Jesus fed the 5,000, when Jesus stated the true meaning of his miracle, the crowds abandoned him. He says that he is the bread of life descended from heaven. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. But this proves to be too much for the crowd, as the people were hoping for a king that gave them free bread. They did not want the bread of life. They wanted no part in the spiritual food and drink that Christ has to offer that leads to eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. They simply wanted bread for their bellies. And even today, Jesus was rejected for the same silly reasons. You know, at each of the examples I just gave, as these rejections of Christ have in common, is that they're rooted in the same sin. It is love for self. It's desire for self. You see, the residents of Nazareth couldn't believe that the young man that they lived next to could actually believe, actually be the Messiah. They could not accept the humble carpenter's son as their heaven-sent Lord and Savior. They were expecting something more glorious, something more powerful, something more wonderful. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem could not stand the idea of people believing that Jesus was the Son of God because this truth would ultimately strip them of their own power and authority over the people of God. And the crowds who abandoned Jesus after the feeding of the 5,000 could not tolerate the idea of a king who did not give them free bread whenever they wanted they could not handle the idea of a king who gave himself over to death that they might have life. In all of these circumstances, these people and their God was their belly. And they would not deny themselves. And we see these same things happen today. Why is Christ often rejected in this world? More often than not, it 
it is because people don't want to deny themselves the pleasure they have grown to love so deeply. They don't want to deny themselves the pride that they have built up in their lives. They don't want to deny themselves the recognition or the glory that they think they're entitled to. You see, the love of money, pleasure, honor, social recognition from the world often trumps the gifts of life and salvation provided by our rightful king. They want nothing to do with the cornerstone nor the spiritual dwelling that God has built upon it. So we must constantly be alert of this to ourselves, too. Because we are infected with the same love of self that the people in the scriptures rejected Jesus had. We must be ready to repent of our love of self. We must be able to see this in ourselves so that we live in humility before our Lord and our Savior, lest we find ourselves separated from the living stone. And to do this, we need the mortar of God's mercy to bind us firmly into his church. We need to hear his word that calls us out from ourselves so that we repent of our sins. We need baptism. We need the Lord's Supper. We need the absolution declared and administered in church to set us deeply and firmly into the walls that are built upon Christ, the cornerstone. Even though Jesus is rejected by men, he is still the living stone. No matter how many reject him, the truth of his identity doesn't change. He is still the Son of God made flesh. He is still the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is still the rightful King of creation. He is still the one who was crucified for our forgiveness. He is still the one who has risen from the dead so that we might have life in his name. And the rejection of the gospel by the world is to be expected. Yet Jesus is still Jesus. He is still our rightful and eternal king. He is still the chief cornerstone upon which the church is built. And to build upon him is to build upon an unshakable foundation. As Jesus says in Matthew 7, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. To build upon Christ is to build upon those gifts that provide the mercy of Christ. And this is what truly builds the church. It is the forgiveness of sins that Jesus won for us when he dies upon the cross. That is what makes sinners into a holy and chosen people set apart for God. It is that we are justified freely by the grace of God for the sake of Jesus and his death. Our sins are atoned for, and we are received freely into God's kingdom by grace through faith. This is what the Reformers so diligently wanted to teach. Martin Luther, he taught that justification is the doctrine upon which the church stands and falls. You remove the doctrine that says sinners are forgiven for Jesus' sake, what happens to the church? It falls apart. It no longer is the church. 
It's a social organization. It's a family that pats each other on the back, but it is not built upon the living stone. This is the source and root of all true forgiveness. It's peace and unity with God and life of the faithful as we are made living stones in God's spiritual building simply by having faith in this wonderful teaching. As we are fixed in our proper place, we are built upon that living stone, Jesus Christ. Every would-be cold and lifeless stone that is built upon Christ suddenly is given warmth and life. It becomes a living stone. And in that life, we are made into a holy priesthood. Faith in Jesus makes us partakers of his life. We are united with him. Another biblical metaphor that maybe rightly describes this reality is that of the body of Christ. As Christ is the head of the church and we are members of his body. And that means that every bit of our lives depends upon our union with the head. You lop off a finger, what happens to the finger? It dies. That means every bit of us depends... On our union with Christ. We are nothing but dead in our sins apart from him. Yet he has graciously united himself to us so that all that is his becomes ours. His holiness, his inheritance, his kingdom becomes ours. And this is what makes us into a holy priesthood. It is nothing other than that we bear the image of Christ before God the Father because we are built into him. We are accepted by the Father as his dear children because we are united with his Son. To be sure, being part of the Holy Priesthood does not mean that we're all the same in the body. Not every stone in a building is the same. Every, every part of the body is the same. Not every citizen in the kingdom of heaven is given the same calling and responsibility or the same gifts. Not every member of every church is the pastor or the minister of the word. While we are all members of a holy priesthood, we're not given the same callings within the body of Christ. Some are called to be hearers of the word, while others are called to be preachers of the word. Yet all have the same freedom as the holy priesthood of believers to stand before God the Father as a child of God, covered in the holiness of Christ. And in that gift we can pray. We can intercede for those whom we love. We can forgive each other. And we can bear witness of the love that drives us. And more than anything, we can be comforted and assured in our life together of the love that our head, our king, and our cornerstone has for us. No single stone in the priesthood of Christ, no single stone in the holy habitation of our Lord can do this in isolation. There is no life apart from Jesus. There's no comfort, there's no forgiveness, there's no assurance, there's no prayer. There's no life at all if a person is not part of the spiritual house built upon the chief cornerstone. But if we are united to and bound to Jesus, we are free. If we're not, we're left in our sins. That is what it means when Peter refers to Jesus as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Because the world does not see the beauty, the honor, and the eternal glory of Christ in his church. They do not agree with God on this matter. As Christ is told by the Father, Behold, you are my Son, with whom I am well pleased. And as God looks upon his church and says, These are my chosen and glorious possessions, the world looks at the church and says, Oh, that's ugly. 
Look at that old building. The world does not see the beauty and the honor of it all. They do not agree, but they would rather remain as scattered stones cast off on the ground. Because they see themselves as gems that are priceless, of great value, and they see the church as brittle rocks stacked into a heap. And this is because the world assigns value to things differently than God. The world values self. The world serves self. But God values his son. His son is what has been given so that we might share in his value. Jesus was given so that we might become beautiful and valuable and being built upon him and sharing in his holiness. Because that is what is beautiful to God. What is beautiful to God isn't what's pleasing to the eye. As God tells uh, Samuel about who to choose as king. He does not say, do not look at the looks of the man. I do not look at the looks of the man. I look to the value of the man's heart. The holiness, the faith, the connection to Christ that comes by faith alone. That is what makes us beautiful to God. It's being built into Christ. And this lends significant importance to our union with him. What gives our lives value? What makes our lives meaningful and beautiful? Well, it's nothing other than that we're built upon Christ, our chief cornerstone. We're united with him and dwell with him. We're made holy by him. And in this, we are given meaning beyond the desire of self. So much of the world wants to design and ascribe meaning to things by how much pleasure it gives. How entertaining it is. How fun it is. How glorious it is. How important and valuable the work may be. How the world regards it as an accomplishment. If I feel like I'm more accomplished than somebody else, the world will pat me on the back and say, sure. Of course, none of these things are evil. Yet our ultimate meaning and identity isn't found in my career or my pleasure or my pride. But our meaning identity has a source that is found outside of me. It is the one who takes me away from me and joins me to him. It is our king and our cornerstone. He is the one who gives meaning to our lives as Christians. Being united with Jesus, we are also made to be more like him. As St. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, For many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That means that Christ has made us to be like him by covering us in himself, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his love, in his mercy, in his obedience to the Father. He takes our sin, he takes our weakness, and our unending love of self away, and these things he bears to the cross so that they would be put to death, and instead he gives us his holiness, his obedience, and his perfect love for God and neighbor. He has applied all of his work to us. And what does this mean then? But that if we're all united with Christ as the Holy One, if we're all united to Christ in one holy spiritual house, 
if we are a priesthood of faithful believers in Jesus, if we're covered in the perfection of Christ, if we're bound together as one body with many parts, so then we're also called to serve and live in the purpose and calling of Christ crucified and risen for us. If we share in the life of the living cornerstone, we also share in his ministry. And that's what it means to be a member of his church. It doesn't mean that we have our names on a roster of members so that we can use the church facilities, take advantage of the pastor, and have a plot in the cemetery. But it means that we are bound together into a life that flows to us from outside of ourselves. And this means that we live in lives that are formed around the confession of Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. Our faith and our union to Christ is to be confessed before the world. Our faith is confessed when we demonstrate to the world that Jesus is our only Savior and that his gospel is more important to us than anything else that the world could ever offer. We deny ourselves and we deny the world's vanity and we cling to Jesus. We cling to Jesus every day. And that means that as we cling to Jesus, we also come to Jesus. We worship Jesus publicly and often. We're taught in the book of Hebrews, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We gather together as the body of Christ, as the holy habitation of our Lord, to hear his word. We gather together as the holy people to receive his mercy, to be strengthened by his words and promises of love, life, and salvation. If we are built into one spiritual dwelling, a house, with Christ as our cornerstone, we can never live in isolation from the other stones in the building. When one stone suffers, the entire structure suffers with it. When one stone is falling from its place, we must work diligently to restore it through the word of Christ. And so as we live in a common confession of Christ, we also live in the hope and the love of Christ that flows from him to every stone in the building as the cornerstone has life flooding from one stone to the next. Jesus tells his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We are to love one another and the kingdom of Christ for no other reason that we are built up in Christ. We share in a union with Christ. We share in a citizenship under his kingship. We are bound to him as he is bound to us. And so we seek to live in mercy and love toward one another. 
We seek to join in confessing Christ as we demonstrate his love and his compassion for us in that confession. As we stand before the altar of God and say, Have mercy, O Lord, on us poor sinners, and that mercy floods from the altar. As Jesus, the cornerstone, says, I forgive you. Be of good cheer. We comfort each other. We care for each other. We help each other when there is a need. For no other reason than that is Christ's love dwelling within us. That is Christ at live, alive in the body of Christ. And in that reality, no Christian is ever truly without a friend or a helper. No Christian is ever without the support and help of Christ. Because there, where two or more are gathered in his name, truly he is with us. Christ dwells with his church as his holy people live together. His Christians have his word. His Christians bear their crosses in faith together as one. As we are not meant to live in isolation, we are meant to live in unity. And that is what Jesus provides in his church. Our unity is found in Jesus, the living stone, the eternal king, the righteous head. And his rule, as it's despised by the world, as he is a rock of offense to the unbeliever, as his body is shameful to those who seek life apart from him, to those who do believe in him, he gives life. He gives holiness. He gives unity with God. He gives peace. He gives comfort. He gives fellowship. He gives eternal life. We are many stones built into a dwelling place of our Lord. And as we live in this dwelling place, as we live as the holy habitation of Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Most Holy Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world to redeem us from the powers of sin and death. And in this redemption, we praise you for drawing us into the true fellowship with you and with each other and the body of your Holy Church. Help us to live as members of the holy household of faith and help us to live in the courage, joy, hope, and salvation that we have in carrying the word of Christ with each other. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds to true faith, to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise. <laughs>